Welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I am so glad you're here today because today we are continuing our 2020 Boston Mother Runner series. And I am so excited for this one. Today's guest started running in her 30s, but didn't race her first marathon until she was 58. She struggled with injury as she worked toward qualifications for the Boston Marathon, and her journey to motherhood is a huge victory story. Debbie Cohen is 64, and she lives in Columbia, Maryland. She's been there since 1998, and she had a 30-year career as a journalist and editor before launching a second career as a personal trainer only five years ago. She works primarily with older women looking to tone up, build strength and stamina, and manage chronic conditions. Debbie has been an avid swimmer her whole life, but took up running and strength training at the age of 30 to add some cross training into her routine, and she gradually developed a passion for running and competing in races. She has been married for 25 years to her husband who works for the federal government, and they have one son, a college senior who excels in the track and field arena, and he's also a standout runner for his college team. In this episode, she shares insights and encouragement as she looks back on her journey, and I believe you will be blessed by this conversation. So let's get to it. Welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I'm your host, Gabe Cox, and through this podcast, I'm on a mission to help you step into the fire of refinement so you can realize your full potential. I do this by helping you overcome your mental barriers through a faith-based approach of building inner strength and resilience. Each episode, I will bring you thought process, productivity tips, and inspirational stories from everyday people, all so you can move confidently toward your goals. As a running enthusiast, I believe that life is one massive marathon, and it's up to you to run your own race and to finish it well. Step into the fire with me because I know you will come out stronger. Well, hey, Debbie, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, I am excited for this chat. Uh, we have a lot in common, and I don't know if you realize that, but we're going to get dive into some of that. But before we do, I'd love for you to just to share a little bit about who you are and share a little bit about your family, where you're from, and all that good stuff. Okay. Well, I grew up in Rhode Island, a little town called Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, and so New England is really in my blood. We used to spend a lot of time visiting Boston, and then I went to college um, outside of Boston, and my mom worked in Boston for a while. Um, and now I live in Ellicott City, Maryland. I've lived outside the Washington, D.C. area for many, many years. I'm 64, so I'm an older older runner. Um, and we have one son who is in college. He's a senior at NYU, and I'm very proud of him. He's a runner for NYU, although he can't compete right now, which is really hard for his senior year. Oh, I um, Yeah. So um, anything else? I think that sounds great. So right now, <laughs> colors are pretty, right? I mean, we're talking in the fall. The, the podcast will be releasing uh, early 2021, but right now is fall. Is it just gorgeous there right now? Um, well, um, being in Maryland, it's not as nice as it would be in New England. And we're we're kind of having one of those falls where it's happening really fast. So I don't think it's quite as vibrant, you know, as it, as it could be. And it's been a very warm overall fall so it's they're coming out but then they're falling so it's 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 not quite as vibrant as especially what I remember growing up in New England okay gotcha yeah it seems like fall has gone fast lately I'm from Minnesota uh we just moved to Colorado so Minnesota usually has very pretty leaves but the last couple of years it has been so quick that you just don't get to enjoy fall which is my favorite season so it's always a bummer Colorado we have really pretty leaves right now um, it, they're starting to fall, but I feel like it's longer than what it was in Minnesota. So I'm, I'm just take, soaking it all in. And maybe it's cause it's just warmer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's you know, good. there's that, <laughs> but, um, well, tell me, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about, I want to talk about your career. And so here's why, um, you, and, and this is where I said, you and I have some things that are alike. Uh, you had a career as a journalist and an editor, and then you turned uh, fitness uh, personal trainer. And I want to hear about that transition, but I want to hear about your time as a journalist and editor. So I actually uh, graduated with a broadcast journalism communication studies major, never actually went into it, had a lot of great experiences in college, but uh, because of where we moved and I got married and all these things, I never ended up going into it. But now I feel like it helped develop me to do what I'm doing now but I just love that. So I just want to hear a little bit about your experience of being a journalist 
and an editor, and then how you transitioned into personal training. Okay, sure. Um, I um, was an English major in college at um, Brandeis University, which is outside of Boston. I always loved English and reading and writing. I always knew I wanted to write and be involved in that world somehow. Um, so when I graduated from college, um, I had kind of some jobs that weren't exactly on the mark, but I was doing writing and editing for some different organizations. Um, but then I ended up going back to uh, get my master's in journalism about five years out after I had lived overseas and lots of cool experiences. But then after that, I seriously started looking for journalism jobs. And I worked in um, the Washington area, so I had some cool jobs. And But my longest-term journalism job was at um, Education Week. It's a national, national newspaper that covers education. And um, I just loved it. It was just fantastic. Um, what I liked most about it was not so much you know, the high profile, you know, Capitol Hill, all those kinds of stories, but going to visit schools all over the country and seeing the cool things they were doing. And my specialty was kind of, um, it started out being early childhood education. And from that, I started covering a whole range of different issues that affect how kids show up at school, you know, which affects their success in school. So um, covering everything from housing to child welfare to, you know, poverty issues, social issues, that impacted the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of really cool programs all over the country that um, where schools were uh, joining forces with uh, organizations and groups in the community to, to meet the needs of some of these families and kids, you know, that were starting off um, behind. Um, so I just loved, you know, traveling to these, I was single then, so mm -hmm. um, traveling to all these places and, you know, just the passion of, um, the people in the schools and in the community, you know, who weren't making a lot of money, but they were really trying to make a difference for kids and families in their community. Um, so then from that, I transitioned to, um, did that for many years. And then I got a job at a large foundation in Baltimore um, that is specifically devoted to funding programs that help children and families. And I was in their communications department. So I was doing a lot of mainly writing and editing for them, putting out different publications and newsletters and things like that. So, and then after I had my child, which is a whole other story I'll get to later, but it became too hard to like kind of juggle all that. So I worked, I decided to um, transition to a consultant and work for a lot of these different organizations I had covered as a journalist um, from home. So I could do my work from home and be involved in my son's um, schooling and education because as older parents um, and we lived far from any family, you know, I just couldn't like leave work go do something at school and then I'd have to go back to work. They didn't have all these family friendly policies then. So working at home um, turned out to be a really good move for me. And, and I did well, I had plenty of work and contracts and things, but I was always a huge fitness buff um, and um, just decided one day I wanted to just see what it was like to study for the personal training certification and then kind of take it from there. So I gradually started doing more than that. And by the way, this was already, um, in my late fifties or so. And so I kind of look at it as like a retirement career almost. Love it. Um, but I was still, I was still doing both for a long time. I don't know how I did that. Cause I'd be so active with clients all day. And then I'd come home and have all these deadlines for writing. And, um, about two years ago, I finally said, you know what, I'm done with that. I loved it. It was great, but I really want to focus on the personal training now. So, um, for the last five years, I have worked uh, at a gym and also some work on my own. And I live in an area with a lot of older people. So my primary clientele has been um, older women, like from 50 all the way up to you know 90. Um, a lot of them who've had some chronic um, injuries or health conditions and helping them see that, you know, no matter what happens to you, there's so much you can still do to be active and to um, strengthen your muscles and your cardiovascular system. And, um, and I've formed such a kindred spirit with all these women because, you know, I'm an older woman myself and I kind of understand, you know, I'm tough, but I'm also um, understanding of, you know, what they're going through and wanting to help them build their self-esteem. Um, so it's been a good fit. That's super cool. So in your journalism experience, was there anything that stood out to you, like a really cool experience that you had, um, an adventure you got to do? Um, well, there was one um, where, well, there were many, but I um, 
when Hillary Clinton came out with her book, It Takes a Village, okay, and that was kind of right up my alley, writing about intersection between education and communities and all that. And so when her book was coming out, my editor said, okay, we want you to try to get an interview. So I um, wrote to the publisher, explained my background and everything. And I was actually um, out of town covering something else. And I get um, a email or message saying that they wanted me to do the interview. Okay, but this was in January, I believe of 1996. And there was a huge blizzard back in Washington, DC area, and I could not get back. So mm -hmm. I was stuck in, um, <laughs> I got as far from Seattle to Dallas. And then they said, we're not going anywhere because your guys are all snowed in. So I couldn't get back. And the interview was just in a few days. I hadn't even read the book because they were supposed to FedEx me the book. And so it was a big deal. Also, I was stuck in Dallas with no clothes, no luggage because we didn't get anything. And I'm, I'm going down to the gift shop and buying like Dallas cowboy t-shirts and things like it was crazy. So, and I'm, it was like the movie Groundhog Day because every day I'm trying to call and see if I can get out of there. I couldn't get out of there. Same routine, you know. And finally, um, after like the third day, was able to get out of there. But then we got as far as Atlanta. We still couldn't go home. Anyway, it was, it was all crazy. I got back the night before the interview. Still didn't have the book, but my <laughs> husband had managed to go and find it somewhere. It had just come out. So I get home after all this. I have to stay up all night to read the book. And then I have to get to the White House and um, our car, everything was still um, snowed in. So I'm taking the subway and, and buses and trains and stuff trying to get there. And I got there and it was, had to walk from the subway or something. And I had these really clunky boots on and my nice suit. And I got there and I, um, I said, let me just get in there five minutes before she comes in so I can take off these boots and put my heels on. <laughs> so it was just down to the absolute wire but I got there and the interview went fine and um so that was kind of a very memorable journalism story that that's so fun what an adventure <laughs> that was right yeah <laughs> I love it so well let's transition into running because I really want to hear about your journey there too I know that you grew up as a swimmer so how did running come into play what made you kind of fall in love with it um, yeah, I had um, learned to swim when I was like two, three years old. We used to belong to a pool in the summer. And um, so I'd always been, done a lot of swimming. And then I swam on my college team. And even after college, I kept a pretty frenetic uh, swimming schedule because it, it just, it was a great stress reliever for me. And um, I had a, I developed a friendship somewhere along the line of someone that did all these, they swam, they ran, they did strength training. And I kind of thought, you know what, I really should be doing more than just swimming because I was getting burnt out and so I thought I'll try a little running so I literally would just run once or twice a week maybe at most um, but I started entering races just for fun and this I started when I was 30 doing my first running so I started doing some races and I would do you know pretty well in the races one day I remember I hear my name being called for an award and I didn't even think that was like a possibility hmm. and so then after that I started to get a little more hooked but I still wasn't doing that much running until I moved to um, Columbia, Maryland area. It was, it's a huge running community here, very, very active running club. Um, there's were triathlons here. There were just a very active um, community, which I loved. And so I just started showing up at more running events and gradually started doing more. Um, but I didn't do my first uh, distance race, like a half marathon until I was um, in my mid to late fifties. And then I didn't do my first marathon until I was 58. Okay. Very cool. What, yeah. so what was your first marathon? What was it like? Um, it was in Miami in January, which was nice to kind of go someplace a little warmer in January. And I had heard that it was pretty flat and it was, um, and it was a really cool marathon. It was, it covered a lot of ground, you know, going by beaches and then in little cities and neighborhoods. And, you know, it was just very, um, fun. I was hoping I would be able to qualify for Boston because I'd heard, you know, what the time was. And I thought, oh, I could, maybe I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I missed it, but I still did, you know, pretty well. And I really enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. So then um, I qualified for Boston on my third marathon, which was um, the Delaware Marathon. Mm -hmm. um, and what was cool was that my, my husband and my son um, were there. And my son um, 
you know, got to see me cross the finish line and make my time and everything. Um, and then, like I said, he went on to, um, once he started high school, he showed up after school for running and then he just never stopped. So um, it's something that we really share and we talk about even to this day. Like he texted me last night and said, oh, do you know this runner from my college just was first place in some huge half marathon. Um, so it's nice to kind of always share uh, experiences about that. I love that. I love that it's like a, a mother-son bond that you have and that you can really, really share it because he knows exactly what you're going through as a runner and um, you can share your ups and downs and just have that. And I think as being an example for him too, just even an example saying, hey, you just because you don't start until you're 58 running in a marathon, you still can do it, right? And I think that's really cool for you as you're training um, the older women and as you're doing all these things, you're showing and proving that it's never too late to pick something up or to work on your fitness or to do these things. Um, now, I I'd love to talk a little bit about your motherhood journey, um, since we're talking about your son, um, and a little bit about how that your struggle victory story with motherhood. Okay. Um, well, I um, got a late start in even trying to have a family. Um, uh, my husband, um, my current husband is my second husband. So I had been divorced and hadn't had children in my first marriage. And I think I was around 30 at that time. And then I didn't meet my husband until I was later in my 30s. Um, and we both wanted to have kids. And, you know, it was just everything was taking a long time. And um, I had a couple of miscarriages. And it was really painful because each time it had taken a really long time to get pregnant. And the first one was an ectopic pregnancy. So that was, you know, I had, that was kind of bad. And, but anyway, um, and I was going through a lot personally at that time because my mother um, had um, cancer and she was dying and um, there was just a lot of stress going on in our lives. And then I got offered this job. We were living in Virginia and I got offered this job in Baltimore. And at a certain point, I just said, okay, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I'm just, that didn't work out you know, as much as I wanted it to, I'm going to move to move with my husband and take this new job. And this is what I'm doing, you know, and that was as far as my vision could see. Well, within a couple of months of moving and starting the new job, I did get pregnant. Um, and I was uh, 42 at the time. So that was a pretty big deal. And it was totally unexpected. And um, definitely think of it as a miracle, because mm. I wasn't even expecting it at this at that point. And it was after my mother had already died. So we kind of felt like she, you know, had something to do with it. Um, so, and the cool thing too, about that was, um, we had picked out a name for him, a certain name. And then, but when it got closer, we just thought, oh, a lot of people are naming their, their, their sons that we didn't want to do that. So we changed the name and after he was born, we're Jewish. So they give you a Hebrew name. So after he was born and his, uh, we heard what his Hebrew name was, we were told that translates into gift of God. Oh, wow. How cool. <laughs> so you didn't know that, you know, it's, yeah, the, his, his, his name, Jonathan, oh. the Hebrew name of that actually literally means gift of God. So we're like, this was all meant to be. So always, we always call him our miracle, miracle boy. I love that. It's so cool. <laughs> I love hearing stories like that. And just, you know, our plans aren't always the way it works out, but when things work out and we look back, we're like, okay. I can understand maybe a little bit and that's really neat. Um, so when did he get into running? Did he get into it early on or is it something that he developed later on in life? Well, he was very, um, he was always really good at sports. He did a lot of soccer um, and he was really good at the running, you know, part of soccer and he did swimming too. He did a lot of things, but um, he would, you know, he would see me doing races and um, he came to a couple of races with me and ran in them as a little kid. And um, boy, have times changed because now he can run like quadruple circles around me. So, um, but it was really when he was going to start high school, he had, he, I think he knew some older kids that were doing it. And he, he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out for running. And I didn't think he would stick with it. Cause a lot of things he didn't stick with, he would try, but he wouldn't stick with. But like I said, from the first time he went, um, you had to just stay after school for the practice. And so you were there already, you know, you didn't have a choice to go home. 
until someone picked you up. So um, from that very first day, he just kept going and never stopped. So, and it was really cool to watch him develop and to go to all his meets and stuff because he went from, you know, just really struggling with it um, as a freshman to being their top distance runner um, as a senior and going to state and everything else. And then, you know, getting into a good school and going and running for them. So, um, and it's still been really fun to go to college meets when we can. So we're kind of missing that right now, but. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. Now does he do um, track and field to like spring sports and are they hoping to have a spring season? Um, yeah, we're hoping, we don't know yet, but um, yeah, cross, they didn't have cross country and winter would be indoor track, which I doubt there's any way they would do that. So um, we are hoping that maybe he will have a spring season, but it's too early to tell. I mean, New York has, um, is ahead of the curve now in terms of, um, you know, they've been um, really doing a good job of um, safety measures and things like that. And they've been very strict. So New York is in good shape. Um, So who knows, maybe they'll be able to do it. But one thing he's thinking of doing, he and um, a couple other seniors that he knows, is um, holding off on a couple classes so that they can go back in the fall and still um, be eligible to do one more season of um, cross country. Oh, very cool. That would be awesome because yeah. it is hard to miss out. I, I think about the high school seniors and the, the college seniors just last spring who missed out on if they had yeah. sports or whatever it was and how hard that is to miss out as a senior. Like that's not how you envision your year. So I, I love that they have that um, gumption to just say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we'll just stick around for a little longer and so that we can do what we love. Yeah. I mean, if he decides to do that, that, that'll be totally fine. Um, but we feel like he was, and he, he appreciates too, that he had two and a half full years of, you know, the full college experience and the sports and all that. So we're, you know, we're very grateful for the, you have to be grateful for whatever you've had, you know, prior to, you know, and even during and after this pandemic. So we try to keep a good perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And I love just being able to see how kids develop their passions and what they do with them and how, how it develops, how it, how they're using them. And that's really neat to hear. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your running again. Uh, you've done about, you've done 10 marathons, right? Yep. Tell me which one was your favorite and why, why was the, maybe it was the experience or whatever it was. Why was it your favorite? Um, you know, it's, it's, I guess it would have to be Boston for sure. I've only done one um, and I'll get into that a little little later, but, um, and that was a really, really um, tremendous experience for me. Um, But I think I've always taken it so seriously that it's hard for me to enjoy them because from the very first one I did, I have to get a bus, you know, I have to get a BQ or so many people I know just do it to do it. And um, so I'm, I'm sort of uh, resolving to, approach things a little bit differently so I can enjoy it more. Um, but I did enjoy Miami, my first one. And, you know, I, I probably enjoyed all of them to some extent, but Boston was a pretty cool experience for me. I had some, uh, I have a dear nephew, niece-in-law and great niece and nephew um, that were able to come out and um, see me at the finish line. And they even did a little video and um, go out with them afterward. And it was, it was really, 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 it was an amazing experience. Yeah. That's really Especially cool. because having gone to school there so long ago and having so many memories from a different part of my life, and you go through all these different neighborhoods, and I kind of had things associated with almost every place I saw along the way, so including you know running right into the city of Boston, so it was um, very emotional. Yeah, I can see that where there's just these pinpoints of different places. Like I went into it not seeing all these places beforehand, and um, I could imagine if you have the nostalgia of being there in the past and all these things that that could be an even cooler experience, just, you know, running by and being like, Oh, I remember that. Or man, this was a special time or things like that. That's really, really cool. Um, I want to talk about your experience there. Um, it was 2017, right? Yes. Yeah. I want to talk about that, but before we do, I want to hear about your qualifying. Um, just what was it that made you want to qualify for the Boston Marathon? And when did that thought come into play? Because I know your first marathon, you thought about it. But when did you really have the drive to work toward it? Um, I think I did from the very beginning. Just, And I probably wouldn't have, but um, 
honestly, I was never, I never even thought I would do a marathon. I was perfectly happy doing shorter races. I was still doing a lot of swimming. I still do swim, but um, I, it wasn't something that I thought I would ever do, but actually um, a good friend of mine, who's also about my age and who wasn't, you know, nearly as active as I was growing up, um, just decided she was going to start running at a certain point in her life um, when she was going through some difficult things. And it was just a challenge she took on. And um, she, one day she told me she was going to do a marathon. And I'm like, what? You're going to do a marathon? You haven't been running that long and everything. And she, she had joined a group um, that approached it very, you know, deliberately and very slowly. And um, she just explained to me, um, you know, well, it's not like you have to do, go out and do a long run every day. You know, it's gradual and you only have to do this many, you know, whatever. And I thought, if she can do it, I definitely can do it. Okay. So that's what um, motivated me to, to try my first one. But um, because I was involved in my local running group and people were like, oh, well, maybe you can qualify for Boston. It wasn't something that was even in my mind. So I think from that very first one, I was like, hmm, maybe I can. So I was maybe 10 minutes off or something. Okay. Um, so I, after that, I did, you know, it was like, okay, now you have to do this. So I qualified, um, uh, did the 2017 and I was, then I was hoping I would qualify at Boston. Well, little did I know that Boston is a very hard <laughs> marathon to <laughs> yes, qualify at super hard course. Um, so I just quietly found a marathon a month later and went and did it and was able to qualify for the next year, 2018. Um, without that much effort because, you know, I was tapering and I was, I mean, I was relaxing after that, um, Boston. And then I just was able to go out there and do it. Um, so I was all happy about that, but then that winter I got, um, I injured myself and I had a stress fracture, um, in my left foot. And so I had to, you know, take a lot of time off from running and heal. And, um, so I couldn't go to the Boston marathon cause I just wasn't, um, healed enough completely to train for it. So that was really disappointing. So then it turned out that I spent like the next two years on and off, like continually marathon training um, to try to get in again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make it for 2019, um, but I did make it for 2020. And I just barely, oh. barely squeaked by. And it was hard too, because here I was three years older and um, they had just made the times five minutes faster for every age group. Yes. Um, that was so not fun. that was. That was not fun and it was really hard and I just barely made it. And then I had to wait several weeks because I had a small, you know, we, they didn't know like what the cutoff was going to be. Mm -hmm. And when I finally, I finally found out um, on my last birthday, when I had just turned 63 on my birthday, I got the email <gasps> saying that I got in. I'm like, this is my best birthday present ever. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but then 2020 happened. So, um, uh, wasn't able to do it and was, you know, extremely bummed out when I found out they were going to be doing it virtually, but I just finally turned my mindset around and I'm like, this is my 2020 and I'm doing it and I'm just going to treat it like as much like the real thing as I can and have fun with it. And I did. Yeah, that's awesome. But let's talk about, I mean, so when you first found out that 2020 was going to be officially canceled and turned virtual, what were, what were your initial thoughts? or feelings on it? I thought that can't be right. That cannot be right. I kept reading it over and over again. I sent an email, you know, to BAA saying, this isn't fair to people. <laughs> you know, like I thought we, I thought at the very least we'd be guaranteed for 20. I, I didn't expect them not to cancel it, but I thought we'd be guaranteed for 2021. And I was really upset at the time, but you know, it makes total sense because they couldn't guarantee that not knowing what was even going to happen in 2021 and how big they could even run a race. So um, they did a really good job of over time, like sending us so much support, as you know, sending us so much supportive emails and resources and connections to other people and activities and things that, you know, after a while it was just like, you know what, they're trying hard to make this worthwhile and um, I'm just going to go for it. So um, I even did, I even did a little video for, um, my Facebook where when I got my package in the mail with, you know, the bib and all the different things okay. in it, I said, here I am on reporting live from the Boston Expo, which is on my couch. And, you know, <laughs> let's see what's in this. You know, I don't have to wait in a long line. I'm not at a hotel, you know, I just have to open this box. And so I kind of had fun with it. 
That's fun. Well, and that's what we needed to do. We needed to figure out how to have fun and how to enjoy the journey because we aren't really guaranteed tomorrow. We aren't guaranteed to be able to run forever or do these things. So we have to experience them as we do. And, um, you know, I want to hear about that 2017 experience. So let's take it. I want to hear about that. We're going to talk about the virtual and how you made it special, but what, what made, uh, 2017 a really special experience for you? Um, I guess a lot of it had to do with my memories of Boston, um, as from childhood, you know, up through college, because like I said, my family, you know, that was growing up in Rhode Island, it was a special thing to go to Boston and see all the sites. And my mother and I would shop at, you know, Filene's basement, which I don't even think is a thing anymore, but it was, I mean, it was, and then we'd go have lunch, like up at the top, there was a nice restaurant and, um, it just had a lot of memories associated with it. And then also going to college there um, at Brandeis, there was, we were right near a train stop. So we would, um, you could take the train into Cambridge and Boston. So, you know, as college kids, we did that every single weekend. We would go and do things, you know, in the city. Um, and then thirdly, my mother working right downtown, she worked in um, Copley Plaza, which is actually right where the Boston Marathon route, you know, goes by there. Yeah. And so like, just the sight of those buildings and those things that had all these memories associated with them um, just made it really, really, really a special experience. That's awesome. I love it. So when you crossed the finish line of your first Boston, what was that like? What emotions came up? Do you remember? Um, again, it's like that feeling where you're turning on these streets in the city that are, you know, familiar to me, but from many different parts of my life, um, when you turn onto Boylston Street. Um, and then the icing on the cake was, like I said, having uh, my family members, um, they were in the stands and, you know, I didn't think there's any way they would see me. There's so many people. Or I had given them an idea when I thought I would be coming in and I was sort of within that time period. But all of a sudden I heard my name and I turned around and they, and I didn't even realize they were able to take a video. So they got me you know, really close to the finish line. And I turned around and, you know, <laughs> did the fist pounding and everything. And um, it was just super, super fun. That that actually really ha had a big impact on me, just having them there and, and um, them catch capturing all that. And then they caught up with me, um, you know, afterward and we, we had a nice dinner together and everything. And also one thing that was really neat was my, um, my great niece, her name is Katia. Okay. Uh, and my great nephew, Ethan, were there. And Katya um, told her mother afterwards that, you know, this was like a highlight of her life, seeing her aunt, you know, crossing the finish line at Boston. That's so sweet. And she's, she's a very active, athletic um, little girl. This was a few years ago. She's now, I think she just turned 12. But um, so it's really neat to see. And, and I, well, I'm always amazed with younger women and, and girls that they have so much more self-confidence and, um fearlessness than I had growing up because even though I was so athletic and I really always just loved moving and any little thing that would come out like a pogo stick or whatever I would spend hours on it I wouldn't just like go do it occasionally I would like literally spend hours on it and but I wasn't pushed towards sports as my older brothers were because it just wasn't you know that much of a thing back then for girls to be pushed in that direction so um, I'm always really inspired by the younger generation of women and how they don't have some of those barriers that we had. Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. And I, I love that you're inspiring them too. Like they're looking up to you and they can see you as a role model and just be encouraged by what you're doing. And I just think that's, that's a really special thing. Um, so what you did the virtual and chose to do it. What did you do to kind of make it more special for you? Because obviously we're all kind of out there on our own doing it. We could just run by ourselves or whatever. What did you do? And how did you, did you incorporate other people with you? Um, well, what I decided to do was um, I have a special place that I like to train for long, that I like to do long runs. Mm -hmm. And it's the Northern Central Railroad Trail, okay. um, which goes for many, many miles through Maryland, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's not that close to my, like, I have to drive like a good 40 minutes to get there. So it's not where I normally run. Where I normally run, our, our area is extremely hilly. 
So it's great training, but when you want to do a few 20 mile runs or whatever, you don't necessarily want to be doing them on hills all the time. And especially it was such a hot summer. It was a scorchingly hot summer. So I love going to this trail because um, I love the woods and it's, um, it's a crushed gravel trail and it's pretty flat okay. and you just go for miles. You just go, 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 go. Um, so I had done all my um, long run, really long run training there. So I decided that's where I'm going to do it. Um, I wasn't able to get anybody um, who was able to do it with me per se, but I did, I knew it was a popular running and biking trail. So I knew I would be with people, okay, mm -hmm. that are being active, that are running, that are biking. And I also knew that a, I did know a couple people that were going to be doing it there that I thought I might run into. So that's what I did. And um, uh, my husband was going to be at the end. He's at my, my husband works for the um, U.S. government, but he also is um, a photographer on the side. And he's a really fantastic photographer and he loves photography. So and he so we have our lives are very well documented. <laughs> so um I can say, but anyway, so having him there at the end to take photos and all that was, was great. So I did print out um, the start, the, the finish line. I had it printed out really, really big and the brake tape thing. I had that printed out big, you know, I spent some money on that, but went to Kinko's had that done. Um, and I also got a friend of mine to do some water um, and Gatorade stops for me. And it was, he's a very special friend that um, I met at the gym where I work and he um, has run Boston like 15 times. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And he's not doing that anymore, but you know, he did it for so many years. And before I did my first one, he gave me a lot of encouragement and he showed me, you know, films of when he ran it and, you know, just gave me a lot of advice and stuff. So he said he would come out and help. So he had like, he sat at a picnic table and he was like, water Gatorade, you know, so that was nice. Okay. Um, and but I was really not shy when I was on that race. Like I had my bib on, I had my, um, I'm on my local racing team. So I had my racing team shirt on and I had my Boston bib on. And when I started out early in the morning, I wasn't seeing that many people. Um, and so when I did see people every once in a while, I'd say, I'm doing Boston. <laughs> I love it. And they would, some of them were like, oh yeah, yeah. And then they, and I said, no, really. And so then they would literally turned around and start cheering. Um, so, and then some people did start to see it and, you know, so I got quite a bit of support actually from, from people that were just out enjoying their day. And I saw, I ran, saw people I didn't even know I would see that happened to be there. And I did see the two people that I knew from my community that were going to be doing it. I ran into them at different times. So that was nice. And then what was cool was at the end, um, when I started getting like a mile or two um, to where I was going to finish, um, people started saying my name because they had seen like the signs and stuff that my husband had put out. Oh. Um, so that was pretty, they said, Oh, you got a fan club down there. Um, and right after um, I went through the finish line and um, he had put the signs all up and everything right after I finished, somebody else was finishing too, that I didn't know. And right after we had taken all our pictures, he said, can I use your, can I use your, can we use your sign to take the pictures? So we said, sure. So that was kind of nice to share that, you know, with someone else who was doing it. So um, it was a lot of fun. It really was. I mean, I felt like if I'd known it was a real race, you know, I probably would have pushed it a little bit harder, but um, that was what I wanted to do was just finally enjoy a marathon where I knew I, there was no possibility of worrying about a BT right. or anything like that. So, and I, I, I think I accomplished that. So That's awesome. This was your chance to just enjoy it and just go out for that yes. fun and yes get all in that's good we need to do that sometimes yeah. it's important to have yeah. goals but at the same time uh I think it's important for us to really just sit back and enjoy it sometimes and and get to really see everything going on around us so yeah and I do I love the woods there's something about the woods I really um you know um there's there's different body, uh, bodies of water and streams and creeks and things and um it's just very peaceful um, so I did, I did feel like I probably enjoyed that more than I enjoyed a lot of other marathons just cause I was more aware of things. I love it. I love it. So tell me why would 2020 Boston marathon have been a victory run for you? Well, it was, you know, after the first time, you know, I, I, after I ran it and then when I wanted to run it again the next year and I got in, but I couldn't. That was really, really hard for me, especially because a lot of people I knew were doing it and posting about it. And I'm like, oh, I can't be there. Um, so, and that it took me, you know, two more years of extremely hard work 
-hmm. And I've been slowing down, you know, in the past few years. So it was just really getting a lot harder for me. Plus, I think it was, I was a little manic about it. I probably shouldn't have tried to do so many, you know, (laughs) or I'd taken bigger breaks in between. But um, the fact that I, you know, really put my mind to it and I just kept trying um, and I thought, you know, this is going to be it. I really don't need to do any more marathons. Um, So it would be so great if my last one is at Boston. Okay. So then when I, that happened, and then when I squeaked by, you know, with such a tiny, by such a tiny margin, um, that, I mean, I, I was just, I, I was just so ready to do it. And I was trained for April, even though I knew they were going to probably cancel April. Then I was almost trained for September. And um, so, uh, yeah, this would have really been a huge um, victory lap for me. And maybe I would have said after that, that, you know, that's it. I don't need to do any more marathons. I never intended to even do one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It's something, there's an addiction to those marathons. You do the one and you're like, huh, I think I could do a little better or, ah, that yeah. was really exhilarating. I don't know what it is about the runner's high, but when you finish the marathon, it, it kind of sucks you in. So do you, do you see, foresee more marathons in your future? I know you had talked about Boston being your last marathon going down to shorter races, but now do you feel like you have unfinished business there? Do you feel, or do you feel like the virtual marathon was special enough that that was a good last hurrah? Um, well, I have decided, I, I finally, like, cause I was really stressing about this for like literally several years, you know? So yeah. um, I finally am in a good place because number one, we have no idea what's happening with, if they're even good, it's going to be a 2021. Now, if there is, I don't think there's much chance I would get in because my margin was so small. It's going to be a smaller field size and they've got people from 2020 and some from 2021. So I don't think I'd have much chance of getting in. However, here's the kicker. I finally figured out that I just turned 64 a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So um, my next birthday, September 25th, I will be 65. So if they don't have it until after September 25th, I got 15 more minutes. Ooh. Yeah. Qualifying window. So if that's, that's a possibility that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or if not, um, you know, I, I could try for 2022 if they have 2022, because again, I've, you know, I, I've got a, a extra um, 15 minutes. So, but you know what, at this point, I don't really care because there's, I have no control about any of that. Don't know if any of that's going to happen or not, or how it'll play out. But so for the first time in a really long time, like I'm a lot happier because <laughs> I'm just not stressing about it. Um, but I did go out yesterday and did um, a half marathon. Um, and it was my first live race since early 2020. And I really had a good time and I got my age group and all that. So um, so it's, I feel like I'm trying to enter a new era of running where I'm going to try and enjoy it more and not stress out so much. So, you know, if I have the chance to do Boston again, um, I would do it. But I don't, I, at this point, I don't feel like I'm going to really keep pushing again for months and months to, you know, to try to achieve that goal if it doesn't happen this time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think one thing that we've learned in this season is we really can't control anything or predict anything. So, um, and that it is so far away that we just don't know anything can happen. So I love that you want to take it more for enjoyment and maybe find some other different goals as well. And if Boston comes, Boston comes. So right. that's really exactly. neat. I love that mindset. I think it's important for us when we shift our mindset and say, okay, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I have a really good buffer, but it's a, it's only a 2020 qualification. So if they cancel next year, I right. won't get to run either. And I've kind of come to terms with that saying, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. There's other things I can focus on. And, and you know what? I just want to find joy in the journey. I want to just yep. experience life and be present where I am. And, you know, I think that's important. So I love that. That's kind of your mindset right there. And, you know, I think, I think it's cool that you're qualifying in your sixties. You know, it's funny. My dad actually took up snowboarding when he turned 60. So I started oh, wow. snowboarding in high school. They actually had me uh, later on in life too. They, they kind of, um, it took them like 18 years to have kids. Um, so wow. oh, yeah. that's more than me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And um, so I started snowboarding in high school and he thought, well, I'm going to start snowboarding too. So at 60, he's going down that hill. 
But I just think it's cool because I think it's an inspiration to say, you don't just stagnate. You got to keep going and you got to stay active and, and feel young and you be young, you know? And my dad was like, of all the parents that I grew up with, I felt like he was the youngest and he was the oldest, you know? And so I just think that's cool. And I love that you're a personal trainer to help older women as well in their fitness. Um, and something that I loved hearing is that you talk a lot about injury prevention and I would love to hear just a couple little tidbits of things that you've used to help you um, prevent injuries. Cause I know probably after having the foot injury, you've started kind of adding these different things in these different techniques. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I also had an issue with strained hip that actually kept me from doing um, maybe even my first or second marathon. I, I can't remember. But anyway, um, so I've incorporated a lot of um, exercises into what I teach, you know, what I teach um, a lot of my clients of hip strengthening, stretching, foam rolling, um, and balance. Okay, mm -hmm. those things are so critical. Um, and exercises for your feet and your ankles, you know, we use them and we have to rely on them, but th we don't really focus on them enough. Um, so, and I try to do those things regularly myself, these different exercises. Some of them are sort of yoga based and some of them aren't. Um, and um, I really incorporate that into my own routine and into all my clients routine. And I'm a huge believer in stretching, um, dynamic stretching before you do anything that's, you know, doing something cardiovascular or lightly uh, moving around, okay, in different ways. And static stretching afterwards, which is where you're, you know, holding a muscle and pulling, pulling or something. You don't want to do that before. You want to do that after when you're already, already loose. Um, so I, you know, to this day, like people in my running club, I see them go out cold, come back after a huge long run, just stop, go to coffee or something. I'm like, I, you know, no, not a good, not a good, in, in my opinion, and also in my experience and experience of many other um, clients as well as athletes that I respect. So um, huge on that. And, you know, really, I'm huge on cross training. To this day, I still run, I still swim a few times a week because it just feels so good in terms of stretching your muscles out and cardiovascular um, using your body a different way. And I have to tell you during the, um, the peak of the pandemic quarantine, when no pools were open, I was, and I was doing a fair amount of running and I was so tight. My muscles were so tight without having that swimming, oh, um, wow. to, yeah, I mean, it made a huge difference for me. So I was having to do a lot more stretching, a lot more foam rolling and stuff like that. And now that I've started back in the pool again, oh my God, it's just like night and day. I can, you know, I did that half marathon yesterday today I get in the pool, I come out of the pool, I feel 100% perfect. It's like magic, honestly. So anyway, a combination of things, not thinking that it's all about hundreds and hundreds of miles every week and nothing else, you know, and also strength training, especially women, you know, our bones, it's, we really need to be doing it sooner rather than later. I wish I had started that um, earlier in my life than I did. Mm -hmm. um, but just like I tell all my clients, better late than never, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, those are great tips. I probably should take up swimming. <laughs> I actually was a swimmer for a little bit in like middle school, but I don't like the water because I don't like being cold, but I do see how good it would be to like open up the muscles and just use them in different ways. And cross training is so, so important. So thank you for sharing those. Um, if you were to give um, other mother runners advice about sticking to a goal or um, about accomplishing, whatever, what would your advice be? Um, I think you can look at a goal, not just as, you know, a punishment or, or something unattainable, but I think for a lot of us, just having a goal really keeps us motivated to, um, uh, to keep up a good fitness routine. Um, I mean, again, I wish I had started the running earlier because I've actually turned out I'm actually a way better runner than I was a swimmer. Um, and <laughs> after competing in um, swimming in college, like I never was competing in swimming anymore, but I was just swimming to swim. But once I started running the goal of the races and um, it also helped me learn different ways of training where it's not like you do the same thing or the same number of, you know, laps or miles every day, you, you know, you really gearing to do different types of runs to achieve different results and be part of an overall plan. So um, 
you know, and it's just something that makes it fun too. And also other than during this period of time in our lives, um, it's motivating to, to um, be in something with other people that are also training um, or going to races together. So um, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. Community is huge. Well, thank yeah. you, Debbie. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate being able to hear your story and share your story with other listeners. And I wish you all the best as you're going after your own goals and coming up with new ones and possibly seeing you at Boston here in the future. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Um, can I just add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say that um, our son, um, his motivation and um, role model, it's not just me because um, my husband also really, he's not a runner, but he's an avid, you know, exerciser. He, he got into swimming more, you know, because of me when he met me, like I was swimming a lot. So he would come and he gradually got to the point where he does way more than me now. Um, and he's made it a huge part of his, his life as well and strength training as well. And also we do a lot of walking and, you know, hiking when we can and things like that. And that's how I was raised in a pretty um, athletic family too. We, we always went out and did a lot of hikes and um, stayed really active. And so that would be something that I would really stress for parents too, as far as having a goal and having a routine, it's not just for you, but when your kids grow up seeing that, you know, as my son did with both of us, um, they just think that's the normal way to be. And so I can't stress that enough that don't think about it as just being, you know, for you and to lose weight or, you know, uh, feel better, which you will, but um, for, for setting that example for kids as well. Yeah. I love that. Being the example, making a family thing, bringing your family in on your goals and encouraging them in their fitness and doing that by doing it together. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Debbie ran her first marathon at 58 years old. I'm too old isn't an excuse we get to do use when it comes to going after a goal or something we feel called to do. I love that she and her husband made fitness and goals a family thing to inspire their son to be active and go after his own goals. What an important lesson for us to learn. I feel kind of a kindred spirit with Debbie too, as she had a longevity in the journalism world and moved into the fitness scene. Both things I was passionate about too. As she so well shares, the future is unpredictable and we can't control most of our circumstances. So I hope that you choose to live in the present and enjoy the journey as you run your race. I believe in you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Before we go though, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform if you haven't already. This will make sure you have access to all future episodes so you don't miss any of them. If you resonated with this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify as reviews are an important part of growing this podcast and helping it reach the listeners who would love to add it to their library. If you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy this podcast, be sure to take a screenshot and share it with them. If you're not a part of the free Red Hot Winners online community, consider joining us. It's a community built to provide support, mindset, and encouragement as you go after your biggest goals. And we can continue today's conversation over there. Head on over to www.redhotmindset.com to check out the show notes and find the link to join the community. I hope you step into the fire with me each and every episode because I know you will come out stronger. That's all for now. Talk with you real soon. Bye, winner.